Hebrews chapter 3. Last couple weeks we've been uh, in Hebrews 1 and 2. And on Wednesday nights we've been in Deuteronomy. And we have been talking a whole lot about Moses and, and Moses talking to his people, preparing them to go into the promised land. So here, you know that Moses is a very significant person in the Bible, right? I bet if you counted throughout the Bible how many times his name is mentioned, you're probably going to get up around 700. And it's not all going to be back here in the beginning of your Bible. It's going to be throughout your whole Bible. You will hear something about Moses throughout the entire Bible. That means that Moses is a very significant person in the Bible. So remember that, how significant he is. Wherefore, holy brethren, wow. This, this is talking to us. It's talking to the nation of Israel as far as individuals in the nation of Israel who have turned from the ways of the Jewish laws and festivals and all the ceremonies that they did, and they have turned to Jesus. That's what Hebrews was originally written to, those people. But it applies to us as well because we have made a decision for Jesus and when you do make that decision and you trust on Jesus Christ, you are instantly holy brethren. You. I don't care how much you don't feel like it. If you believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are holy brethren at that moment. And don't start looking around at other people and seeing how holy other people are and think that you don't measure up, maybe you don't, but it doesn't matter, you're still holy brethren. That's the way Jesus sees you when you believe on Him. Partakers of, of the heavenly calling, that's you if you believe. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, we know who the apostles were. We have a whole book called the Acts of the Apostles. They did great things. They did amazing things. They performed miracles. And they were ushering in this new age that we are now a part of. We're part of this church age. We are part of the body of Christ. And they were amazing people. But Jesus, notice the capital A in Apostle when you're reading this. It's talking about Jesus. What did apostles do? Apostles connected God to man. Apostles, like Paul, would go out and he would tell every man that he saw about God in heaven. And, notice the, and high priest, capital H, capital P. So Jesus is an apostle. He has come down, if you remember what we read at the beginning of Hebrews, 
that at different times and in different ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but now he speaks to us by his very son. So Jesus came down here to be the apostle to give us word about a heavenly father in heaven because God cares about us. But what, does a high, what did a high priest do? A high priest, he connected men with God. People would bring their little lamb. People would go to the high priest, and he would connect us with God, the people. Well, Jesus has done that for us once and for all. He is the high priest so that we, if you read... If you want to read something this week it, while you're reading Hebrews, go over to Ephesians and, and look at how many times that we are talked about as believers being in the heavenlies with Christ. If you are a believer, that's where you are. You're in the heavenlies with Christ. Even though you see yourself right here on this earth walking around. So Jesus is the apostle and the high priest of our profession. Okay, two. G talking about Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now there's Moses, all the way over here in Hebrews. Think about how the Jewish people held Moses up in very high regard. Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is way better than Moses. Jesus is way better than Moses. And Moses was an amazing person. You go back into uh, Exodus and see how he was born into... Uh, a time where they needed a uh, pregnancy resource center in the worst sort of way. Moses was born, and they were taking the male babies, and they were tossing them into the Nile River. Pharaoh, the mean Pharaoh, he was very intimidated by the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel were uh, very fruitful. They were reproducing like crazy. Now, that was great because they were slaves and they had more people to do more work, but the problem got to the point where Pharaoh said, if any nation comes against us and all of these Hebrews join up with them, we're doomed. So he got scared of them. He saw the blessing of God on them. He got scared of them, and he started to eliminate the male babies that were coming into this world. So Moses survived that. Moses was placed in that little ark, cast out into the water, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and wanted to raise him up. Moses grew up, and defending his very own people, killed one of the Egyptians and had to run for his life. God prepared him for the next 40 years of his life. So it was 40 years until he ran away, 40 years being prepared. So now at 80, he's finally old enough to go do what God has called him to do. So don't think that you've missed it 
you're too old now, you can't do things for God, he might just now be getting you good and ready to do some amazing things. And just like Jesus said, I don't know if I'm going to get to to it or not today, but I'm, I'm going to try to read something out of this book over here, and you're, you're going to see some, some things, if not today, next week. But there are times when Jesus said things that make you think, why would he be scared to go to the cross? The pressure of going to the cross for us was so much that he was sweating blood droplets. It is critical that we see the humanness of Jesus when he was walking on this earth. There was heresy way back at the beginning of the church age that taught that Jesus was never human flesh. Well, that is just as dangerous as saying that, he, that Jesus was a person and wasn't deity. He wasn't God. We have... There's unexplainable things in the Bible. I'll try to explain them the best I can. But God manifest in the flesh. So Jesus, when he was walking around on this earth, was he 100% human or was he 100% God? Yes is the answer. But that's impossible. If we think about it logically, that is impossible. How can anything be 100% God and 100% human at the same time? Be careful about thinking logically when it comes to the things of God. It will get you in trouble. You'll, you'll, you'll end up starting a, a new denomination, and you'll be teaching stuff from one point of view and then there's going to be another denomination that's going to try to counter you and teach stuff from the other extreme, and then you'll have some major breakups in the churches. Oh, that's already happened. <clears throat> so, Jesus actually showed his humanness by not wanting to go and do this thing. He said, if this cup can pass from me, please let it. And you see Jesus being very, it seems like he's very different and separate from the Father at that moment. But then we read where Jesus created everything. So he was God. Did God create everything or did Jesus create everything? The Father, did the Father create everything or did Jesus? Yeah. So don't try to take anything away from Jesus' humanness and definitely don't take anything away from him being God in the flesh, the Father in the flesh. Accept it. Don't try to figure it out completely because you never will. We have to, we have, to have a childlike faith. Keep it simple. Please keep it simple. Verse 3. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, 
as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house. Notice that Moses was a servant. And not, if you, if you look at the Greek word for this servant right here, because there's different words for servant that are, in, that are translated servant. But you have one Greek word that would mean like a slave. But then you have another Greek word, and when it's translated servant, means somebody of high honor servant, that type of servant. And that's the word that's used for Moses. He was a very significant, important servant. But notice he was a servant. And notice Jesus is a son. You see that right there? But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? You know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost if you're a believer? You, you house the Holy Spirit in you. Whose house are we? Listen to this. Here's the controversy. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. It's an if there. Now, I told you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are holy brethren. I said that at the very beginning of what I just started reading today. So, are you holy brethren saved, and can never lose it. But down here it says, we are the house of Jesus Christ, whose house we are, if, if we hold fast, that we hold on to tightly, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. That's, that's giving us something to do. Now, you can be somebody who turns this into a work salvation. All right, we don't want to do that. We have to believe that it's already done, and we are holy brethren, but then we also need to understand that we are expected to hold on to these truths and to actually work those things out in our life to be a servant like Moses was, but more importantly, to be a son like Jesus was. Now, I'm going to read a little bit out of this uh, John Phillips commentary. Now, the really good stuff is in this other book over here. and Like I said, I don't know if I'm going to get in that today or not. We might. Now, this is what John Phillips says about this first, these first six chapters. Now, What's significant is he does not address verse 6 at all. I love John Phillips, and I get a lot of good stuff from him, but the guy who did this commentary right here, I'm not even going to mention his name yet, but he addresses verse 6. It's probably two pages worth of stuff in here about verse 6, and it is good. It is really good. All right, so it's been... Uh, 2,000 years since God tore the temple veil, 
signifying the end of an era that had lasted 1,500 years. Now, you know what I'm talking about. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil, you know what the veil was in the temple? This big veil that only a certain high priest could go into. It was a person who was designated to do that. Only he could go in. No other priest could take his spot. It was he had to do it. And everything had to be perfectly right. And if he didn't get everything right, and he went in behind that veil into the Holy of Holies, he would drop dead. It was very serious. Now, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was ripped in a way that it couldn't naturally rip. It had to have been a miracle of God for it to rip, which made the temple of no use anymore. So instead of the high priest going into God on our behalf, Jesus made a way for us personally to go directly to God. Does that make sense? That, all right, so all that happened, and all of these uh, religious observances, associations, and concepts, they were all done, finished at that time. A new day had dawned, Abruptly and completely, the Jew had to face the revolutionary fact that Christ had eclipsed all others and that Calvary sp spelled the end of the law. <clears throat> you're going to see, as we go through Hebrews, you're going to see names like Moses right here. You're going to see Joshua. You're going to see Aaron. You're going to see Melchizedek. And all of these are types and pictures of Jesus. And the book of Hebrews is going to always make that case that Christ is better than all of these people. Christ is better. He's a better Savior. He's a better priest. He's better than the angels. We've already went over that. The believer in Christ is also given a heavenly calling. We've already talked about the... Uh, uh, being called a holy brethren. In, in contrast to the calling of the Hebrew people, which was essentially earthly, in the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. You see that? In the Old Testament, to be in the sphere of blessing, the Jew had to be in the land. So much so that any time we see the Jew outside the land, he is in the place of punishment and correction and cut off from the blessing associated with the land. In the New Testament, to be in the sphere of blessing, we must be in the Lord. Not in the land like the Jews, but in the Lord. For the Hebrew of old, it was a matter of being in Canaan. For us today, it is a matter of being in Christ. Thus, Paul reminds us repeatedly that we are, like I said earlier, we are in the heavenlies. You can see it in several places in Ephesians. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 20. In uh, chapter 2, you see it in verse 6. And then in chapter 3, you see it in verse 10. From a consideration of the believer's titles, the writer turns at once to a consideration of Christ's titles. He is that apostle and high priest, and I have uh, shared with you what that means. For Christ was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch 
as he hath builded the house, hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Moses certainly derived glory in God's house, and God did not hesitate to give it to him. The fact that Moses is mentioned by name upward of 700 times in the Bible and through all parts of the Bible. You gotta, you, you, you're you're going to see it all the way through. He was truly one of the cornerstones in God's plans for this world, but would be, uh, it would be so silly to magnify a stone. However important that stone was, Moses was not without his majesty, but he was still a servant inferior to Christ. Christ was superior in his person to Moses. Moses is at best described as a servant, but Christ as a son. So, when Jesus was, when he asked, who do men say that I am? Remember that? He was asking Peter. Who do men, he, he, he was probably asking all of them because there were several different answers. It says, some said, uh, you're Elijah. Others believed that he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some believed him to be Jeremiah. Others believed him to be one of the prophets. Thus, the Jews themselves likened Jesus to the greatest men in their nation's history. But this would not do. He was as, he was as far above the noblest of Israel as the infinite is above the finite. But whom say ye that I am, he asked, and Peter gave that great answer, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Shortly afterward, Peter, James, and John saw Moses and Elijah, two of the most amazing heroes of Israel, conferring with Christ about his decease. Awestruck, Peter struggled, or no, Peter suggested that they build three tabernacles, one for the Lord, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was instantly rebuked by God. Not for a moment would God have these two servants put on a level even seeming equal with Christ. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, he said. Hear ye him, though Christ is superior. All right, hope. That's about the only thing he talks about in that last verse that I was, that I was uh, mentioning. Hope relates to the future tense of salvation. God always gives us something to look forward to. We sometimes think of hope as just, you know how we use hope today. I hope that we get snow this winter. You know, you're not wondering if we're going to get it or not. You know, you're like, uh, I hope. We don't, but Bible hope is so different than that. It's something that you absolutely know is coming in the future but you're waiting on it. For example, we ask someone, are you, are you saved? And that person says, I hope so. And we naturally conclude the root of the matter is not in, in him at all. Yet in some instances, hope has more to offer than faith. Suppose a mother were to say to a disobedient son, when your father comes home, I'll tell him about your behavior and ask him to punish you. If you ask the bo this boy, is your father coming home? He might say, I believe so. 
but he is unlikely to say, I hope so. Hope combines both expectation and desire. So Bible hope is something we are looking forward to. So if you see God as this great, big, ruling with an iron fist, that he's, going, he's just waiting to punish you, you don't have a hope, a Bible hope for him. You, you're hiding from him. You're like, you're like uh, Adam and Eve hiding in the garden when, when God shows up. They ran and hid, and he had to call for them. But if you're truly saved, you really are a believer, you are so looking forward to being with him one day. You have a great hope. The Jews brought out of Egypt by Moses had hope of Canaan. It had been promised to them, and it was theirs solely on the ground of faith. You know, I have to take that back. He is addressing that last verse that we read out of, uh, in, in verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The nation of Israel was promised that land in Canaan. When you believe, you are promised that you will be in heaven with God one day. But did all the people who were promised the land make it? Going back to Israel, Moses led them out of bondage, they were taken out of the world, Egypt, the worldly things. They were taken away from that. They were set free. All they had to do was follow. And just think about your Christian walk. You've been set free, and now you're on your way through this Christian life that you're living, and you're headed to heaven. But do we all get there? There are... We, that's why we, we keep saying there are professing Christians. They just, they just say the right things, but maybe they're not truly saved. They want to be, but it just hasn't happened yet. And they're doing all the right things, but still don't really have a good hope inside of them of what's coming in the future. And we hope that one day they get it. Right? Now, human hope. But if they only believe with all their heart and put all their trust in Jesus, then they have a hope that's more real. There's a condition to getting to the end when you look at you, but it's a done deal when you look at Jesus. That's awesome. Now, how can I tell you that it's up to you and tell you that it's all about Jesus at the same time. But the Bible teaches us that we have to do certain things. We have to hold fast. We have to hold on to those truths and not to fall back. Not to try to go back and do it a different way. The, the book of Hebrews is written to those very people. Hebrews was written to the Jew who believed on Jesus, left all of those magnificent things in the temple, all of those feast days, and their families 
would have a funeral for them. Think about a Jewish family, and one of the sons goes to follow Jesus, and he's now a Christian. The family would actually have a funeral for him and, and, and totally ignore him the rest of his life. Can you imagine being totally separated from everything that you knew, and now you're following something that you can't even see anymore? Jesus has left, and he's up in heaven, and you're following something you can't see. By faith, you're following after him, knowing that you have a better place in heaven, but yet all of these things that are still visible, the temple was still over there. All of the feast days, all of the, the magnificent things of the Jewish way of doing things was all still there for you to look at. You could see it. And they were being drawn, uh, come back, come back to all this magnificent stuff. Are you going to go back? When you get over to uh, Hebrews 6, you're going to see where if you were enlightened to follow Christ, and then you denied Him, and you went back to the old way of doing things, and then you decided that you, you made a mistake and you wanted to go back to Christ, that it's not possible. That's scary. You can read it for yourself. It says in... Uh, Verse, uh, this is chapter 6, verse 3. And this will we, we do, if God permit, for, if it, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. It's one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible. Is it possible? I think that if you are truly born again, you cannot go back. I don't think you can. But if you could, you couldn't come back. Again, according to this. So, I hope you're very confused now. I hope, you, I hope that you don't trust your own understanding. I hope that you get into the Word of God, and you read it, and you believe every part of it. And when you see things that tell you that you are holy brethren, that you'll believe it. And I pray that when you get to Verse 6 here, that it says, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, I hope that you will hold on to everything that you believe until the end. Because you've got to do both. Next week. Be here next week. Because I'm going to read what I was telling you about in this book. and I'm, I, I, didn't, I haven't got into it, so I can't, I'm not going to say the person's name. I don't even want to say the person's name. I like to give people credit when I'm reading their stuff, like John Phillips, but he's, he's acceptable. There are some people out there that are really not even acceptable, and, and people, if you look them up, you will, you will think, why in the world would you listen to anything that person has to say? He's some looney tune. Well, 
I have to say that the people who truly preach the Word of God, that believe everything the Bible says, are the ones that are going to be criticized the most. They're going to be, they're threatening, and, and they're not going to be at the top. When you go search on YouTube, and you're looking at different ministers and different Word of God preaching, all that stuff, you're going to get the ones you don't need to be listening to. That's the ones that are going to come up first. The most popular out there is probably the ones you've got to be the most cautious with. Okay? There are people out there that are very charismatic. They are good speakers. They're funny. And you may want to listen to them. They may catch you. Be very, very careful what you listen to and who you watch. There is way more heresy out there, false doctrine out there, than there is good. And we need to be very careful who we listen to. Most importantly, you personally need to get into the Word and find out what the Word says. Because I could, I could lead you astray because I'm a person. I'm just a person. And my heart is to never leave any... I don't want to lead anybody astray. I don't want to get anybody doubting their salvation. I don't want to, get, I don't, I don't want to do that, but I've got to show you what's in the Word of God. And next week we'll get into a little bit more of why this caused such a division in the church. Being extreme in one way or being extreme in the other. And we, all of us, have that danger of being pulled into something we can see with our eyes and start trusting in what we do and turn away from what Jesus has done. We all are in danger of that. It can happen. And Hebrews is a wonderful warning for us to don't let that happen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I want every person to have a, a longing, a, a very strong wanting of looking into the Word of God. Please read the Word. Pray that God will show you things in His Word. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your wonderful Word that we have, that we are able to have in our possession. Father, we, we live in a place where any of us can, without fear, carry a Bible around to be seen by all. But Father, we understand that there are places in our world where people have to hide their Bibles. Father, that they can die just for having possession of Your Word. And Father, they have a desire to know it, to have it and read it, even if they could die for it. But Father, here in this country, we are safe to read it, but yet we don't seem to want to read it. As a nation, we don't want to read Your Word. Father, we have pushed You out of all parts of our life, throughout our society, but there are places in this world 
where they want to put you in everything but can't. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would not take your word for granted, that we will cherish it, we will read it every day, and Father, we will grow uh, more and more holy, even though we know we are holy the day that we believe. But Father, we will know more and more about you. We will love you more. We will want to serve you more. We would want to bring more people to get to know you. So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will go out into this world and, and be salt and light. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.